Please remain standing for the reading of the word. Brother Don, let's open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Our verse was uh, tonight is number 17. Exodus 20 and verse 17. It's the last commandment of the 10th commandment. Reading from the English Standard Version. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's pray. Lord, once again, open this book and may it become, Lord, not just letters and ink, but may it be, Lord, the living words Words, Lord, that are from your lips, that are honorable and true and good, lovely and right. We pray that we might receive them, uh, that we might please you, that we might be instructed in the way that is right. And Lord, uh, that we might, by your Spirit, effectively put these things that you do not, that you do not like, that you do not approve of, that displease you. We pray that you would help us by your spirit to mortify more and more and to grow in conformity with that loveliness, with that contentness, contentedness and that, that peacefulness that uh, is Christ. And uh, help us in this endeavor, Lord, tonight, we pray in Christ. Amen. Please be seated. All the commandments of the Lord are as guardrails. If you keep to the right way, you'll stay within the guardrails. But if you go off track, you necessarily will either bump into the rail or will crash through the rail or, or jump over the rail and find yourself off the road. Uh, some, some breaches of the law are more violent than others. Some are more subtle, but they all have to do with not keeping in step with the Lord's will. Now, the Lord's will and His Word is completely complacent and completely agreeable to the Spirit and His leading. So you may know if you are walking in the light as He is in the light, if you are walking according to the Word of God and His Spirit. There's nothing unspiritual, my friends, about seeking to please God by faith, of course, as a Christian, and keeping his law. Uh, a great zeal in doing that, great precision, is something that we see in all good and righteous and holy men, but principally do we see it in the Lord Jesus. Uh, so let no one deceive you uh, with regard to the zeal of keeping the Lord's commandments. Now, with regard to these guardrails, it seems that this one is probably the least high of all the guardrails. The commandment not to covet is, is quite large. It's quite broad. It's quite broad, but it's shallow. <laughs> what, I'm saying, what I'm saying is that 
you can, you can, you can go over this guardrail very easily, and we all do. The motions of our hearts, however subtle they are, are such that we easily fall into discontentedness. We, we easily set our hearts on things other than God. The creature is not to be worshipped. And we studied this in Sunday school class. What we mean by creature is anything less than God or other than God. Man was made for God. And man, man will not fulfill himself. Woman will not be fulfilled by anything else than God. And it's because people don't believe this that the nations rage and there is war and there is lust and there is anger and there is violence. As people are unsettled, they are not at peace because they think they want something and it will not, it will not satisfy. God is all wise. He gives us commandments because he knows us. He knows what man truly is and what fallen man is. And he would, he's come to save us not merely from the guilt of our sin. He wants to save us from all sin. And part of the way he does it is he teaches us righteousness. This commandment here is, is very, very, very useful. Again, the Ten Commandments, the first and the last, are like a set of bookends, and we'll find this out by the various scriptures. But I want you to understand that this is the commandment that I think finally tripped up Saul of Tarsus, that, that enormous ego of an arrogant Pharisee who thought he was doing well and pleasing God, doing him a good religious service by persecuting Christ's church. And why? He understood not the righteousness of God in Christ, and he thought he had a righteousness that is obtainable or achievable by the law, accreditable or meritable by the law, by one's works, by one's good deeds, etc., by much religious zeal. And this is that low guardrail that the Apostle Paul has hopped, and he found himself off the road, and he thought, okay, I'm dead. The commandment slew him. This is the commandment that slew him. The funny thing about this is this is the, the last thing that most unbelievers will ever suspect really details their misery. They just don't get it. They're convinced that something else, if they just had, and you name it, fill in the blank, one more dollar, a better house, a younger wife, a, yeah, whatever, a stronger bull, a faster car. This is that wisdom that comes by salvation in Christ. Christ's wisdom, he points this out to us. He points out our real need. The other thing uh, that this commandment uh, points to, without establishing and really even arguing for a theology. This is really ethics. This is not a theology. But I can think of no other verse that has very, very strong evidence 
of original sin. In fact, this, this commandment, I think, of itself can prove concupiscence. That is to say, that desire that is in us, that is a gnawing of our soul, an appetite of the flesh. And uh, it, it will undo, it will undo anyone. It will undo a sinner. And that's what we have by Adam and his fall, concupiscence, uh, the original, original sin. Let me just uh, outline exactly. This is a very simple teaching. You know the Ten Commandments. Positively, then, uh, that we, we must be content with, with our lot in life. And uh, we must celebrate our neighbor's lot. Contentedness in ourselves and in our neighbor's. God is sovereign. He dispenses gifts. He dispenses graces. And he determines uh, our lots of habitation, the extent of our days, everything. If we are wise, we would ascribe to him glory and wisdom in that. But we are not wise. We are foolish. And so we transgress. There are many scriptures that take off. Uh, and uh, they established this both in the Old Testament, many, many examples. The New Testament uh, underscores the importance of this commandment. I think, <laughs> I think in underscoring this 10th commandment in the New Testament, the New Testament underscores all commandments. There's, there's a vestige of every commandment in the 10th commandment. In fact, there's no breaking any commandment except first breaking this commandment. So let me just give you some places. Hebrews 13, verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he, that is God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that, what, what a marvelous scripture that is. It gives us a commandment and it gives us something so amazing. He says, I'm all you need and I'm yours. That, 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 is, that is the goodness of our God. And he means, he means for us to be refreshed. He means us to be... When people complain, you know, you know what people... When people complain, you know what they really need? They need love. <laughs> God knows that. And here we are complaining about our lot, and God says, I love you. I'm here with you. It's that simple. We just need to be reminded. Keep your life free. First Timothy 6. People who are depraved in mind, depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. See, this is, this is that works righteousness baked into the very bone, the very marrow. It must be cause-effect. It must be, you know, there must be some causal entity here with righteousness and benefit. But godliness with contentment is great gain. It's great gain. And the Bible's never hyperbolic about anything. You could have said, God is in good, good gain, and godliness with contentment is gain. When he says it's great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. 
That is to say, by God's blessing, these will prove to be sufficient. But with those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. There's, there's that desire, that's that, there's that gnawing, there's that gnawing nature that, 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 is, that is an impulse in every one of Adam's sons, fallen sons, that must be mortified by the grace of God and his death, the death of Christ on the cross. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and through this craving, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The sin brings about misery, and some misery is great, great, great indeed. And if you, if you are not content that God is with you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The soul, having departed and apostatized, uh, will feel the darkness of it, <clears throat> will feel the tragedy, of the, the loss of it, the pain of it, and pierce itself with many, many pangs, the very, the very oppression and the very torment of hell. Job 31.29. Job uh, is, is recounting again to his friends, defending himself. He says, if I rejoice at the ruin of him who hated me, or exalted when evil overtook him, then, then he places a curse on himself. We are not to rejoice even uh, if we should have enemies, natural or otherwise, or perceived. We should not be delighted in the ruination. Uh, business people, uh, there is such a thing as competition. Uh, there is another thing called uh, covetousness. Well, just, let's be frank here. Uh, we are not to treat our business competitors as our enemies. They, they are not to be destroyed. They, they are not to be obliterated. They, they are not to be reviled, reviled. They are not to be mocked. You are to seek their good. You are to pray for the, and for the benefit of your business competitors. You are to be equitable in every transaction. You lose nothing by this because you're a child of God. You're a child of the king. You're, you're destined for palaces and greatness, majesty, riches, and honor. You are above the trifles of today's business and market. This is transitory. You are, you are an eternal soul. So let's, 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 let's correct that. This is, not, this is not the Puritan work ethic. This is the devil's work ethic. Romans 12, 15, again, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep live in harmony with one another. This is why I think it's very difficult for me to, st to stand in the, uh, in the livestock exchange. Some people are making a lot of money. I rejoice, and the guy next to me is, is in tears. He just lost his whole estate. Where do I go? I, it, sometimes it appears like the stock market is a zero-sum game. I don't know what to make of it, guys. I really don't. I have an MBA, and I'm sure I, I still don't understand. What would I do there on the street that day with people, some gnashing their teeth and some people celebrating with champagne? I don't get it. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. When you, uh, 
when you're tuning a guitar or another stringed instrument, you know that when you depress a string and you, you see if it's in tune with the right fretting guitar, if you, if you merely strike the, the one string and it's in perfect, in perfect uh, pitch tune with the other, you don't need to touch the other string. The other string resonates. The, the, the energy that is transferred from the string carries through the air media, strikes the other string, and, and there's a resonant frequency, and it, it vibrates. It even sounds a little bit if you strike it hard enough. <laughs> that's harmony. Uh, that's, that's where people, that's where strings get along together, and, and that's how hearts should get together because, after all, in the church especially, we're one body, and in humanity, we might say, there's, there's, there's even, you can even speak of, of a humanity that should have this kind of harmony. It's built into the moral law. And we need, to, we need to really be firm that this moral law is common ground for all people. Evangelicals who are moral law deficient, moral law poor, can only hope to fail in reaching people because they have compromised their notion of humanity. You must preach law, and you must preach gospel. And the bridge that first must be established is the common good of what we want in life as good, okay? So these are some of the readings affirming that you must be content with your own lot and with your neighbor's lot. You know, do you rejoice? The Tenth Commandment then requires a full contentment with our own condition, not a partial one. <laughs> it, all, all of the commandments, all of the commandments require perfection. So well, that's not right. How could how could that be so? Knowing how could God ask this of sinners? Well, do you just let's back up. Remember, He didn't make us sinners. We made ourselves sinners. He made us in His likeness. And for him to have communion with a creature, there has to be a corresponding likeness. So why should he compromise his own nature, in essence, his own holiness, and then uh, admit to the creature something that would be less than satisfying to his soul? Our souls know, once we know God, his perfection. And really, God would deceive us. God forbid, but God would be deceptive if he asked for anything less than a full contentment, because that is, that is what is equitable to his righteousness. Now, we ought to be happy with that, because we, we want God to be holy, and we praise him for his holiness, don't we? Well, if we're praising him for his holiness, we ought to be thankful that his commandments are holy, because they describe, it's a transcript of his own very essence, his holiness. We should be satisfied with nothing else but a perfect commandment. A charitable frame of mind of our whole soul towards our neighbor. All our inward motions, however small, our thoughts, certainly how we express them outwardly, what is emitted. But this commandment above all is first of all inward. Now, say what you want. I've heard, I hear a lot of critique every once in a while. You know, the inward is difficult. It's not, you don't see it. It's subjective. I would replace the word subjective with, with spiritual. You know, because uh, once behavior is elicited, it's observable. 
That's, it, becomes, it, it begins to affect things in the physical world. But that doesn't make the inward motions and machinations of the heart and mind less real. In fact, the more real are the drivers that cause that, that behavior uh, in the first place. The whole of the Sermon on the Mount, for the most part, deals first with the inward. We, we have to get away. I don't want to blame Westerners. I think, I think it's truly a matter of spiritual discernment, of being alert to ourselves, alert to temptation, alert to the Spirit's leadings. I think it's a matter of knowing ourselves, and we know ourselves very little. And we know the moral law of God even less. So that's what we need. We, we need to be very much aware of our inward motions, and especially our affections, how our hearts relate, whether of envy, uh, of, 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 uh, of grief, when we grieve over the goodness of somebody who's doing well, whether we love or we can rejoice. Okay? And all must tend to and further all that is good, which is for himself and for yourself too. You should be happy with that. Now, the, 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 the main ticket items, I think, God gives us the big ticket items here that men and women are apprised to be important in life and that we are to be careful with. Um, our neighbor's house. It, it's easy to see that some houses are, are of greater value. Maybe the contents, maybe it could be a very modest house, but it's, a, it's, it's addressed very tastefully. It's, the furnishings are nice. The location is nice. You are, you are not to desire that house for yourself at the expense of your others. You are to be happy that your neighbor found, found it at a good deal. Should not cover your neighbor's wife. And here I don't think it's, it's a matter of adultery. I think it's a matter of utility. It's a matter of... There are many other things besides sexual desire. Um, uh, it, it, it could be because uh, she is good with finances. <laughs> it could be because she's related to the right political persons and, or <laughs> make a good business partner or any number of things. <coughs> or it could be it could be along the lines of the seventh commandment not to, to commit adultery. His male servant, his female servant, these are uh, items I, in business you see this. You Sometimes you work in teams and you think, well, Wow, oh, I have to work with these people. And if I just had, I had some people like the people across the hall here, and they get some sharps, and they work well together, and it's a pleasure to go there and work. These guys are like duds, you know. All right, it happens all the time. This ox or donkey, the ox, the ox is a very valuable animal. Where the where the ox is, it's, the major may be dirty, but there's a lot of strength to be derived from the strength of an ox. And it does a lot of work for you. It brings riches out of your field. And you got a sickly old ox, and he's too old to even boil. You know, I'm not going to eat that baby. What a, what a, what a, you know, I got to kill him, and then we're going to haul him somewhere. What a, you know, just, you begin to, <laughs> you begin to complain about your old ox. Dumb old ox. So these are some major things. 
But then it goes on to say, or anything that is your neighbor's. Okay? And it does establish, by the way, the, the propriety the, or the right of ownership. I don't see how anyone, a very poor theologian, would argue for a Christian ethic of Marxism, where everything is, is in common. Uh, the moral law speaks against that. I, th I think uh, the moral law establishes a godly dominion. A godly dominion. Um, and there are such things as ungodly dominions. So those are just some uh, things for you to consider, especially the, what I call the big ticket items here in verse 17 that are drawn out by the Lord of the Spirit. Se secondly, you must never be discontented with your lot in life, nor uh, inordinately desire anything that is your neighbor's. Um, if you've not read, I believe it's Thomas Boston, right? The Crook in the Lot. I, I give it, whenever folks come in for counsel, this is the first book I, I give them. People argue, of course, Pastor Vegas, you must always give me a book. Here, read this. Yeah, I am. I, that's what I'm going to do. That's my MO. You're going to read. And you're going to pray. And you're going to read and pray some more. Uh, because uh, I don't have time to come and move in with you and give you 30 hours of counsel. You're going to have to work a lot and ask the Lord to show you a lot from some of the best books out there. But that, that book, the crook, uh, the crook and the Lot, speaks about God give us, giving us a godly inheritance. He gives us a, a godly heritage. Wherever we are, He has gifts for us. We're in His church. We're in His commonwealth. He has good things for us. He's given us good things. Now, that's our lot. But whatever he gives us in this fallen world, there's sure to be some angle in that lot, some irregularity, some blemish, some imperfection. Maybe if he gives us 40, 40 uh, acres, maybe the back five is swamp. Maybe, maybe there's runoff there from some sewage dump down the road. Yeah, I don't know. But there's, not, there's some irregularity in the lot. And that... It's like, it's like looking at the glass half empty. But that little irregularity, that crook in our lot, is enough to set us off. This is, this is why Ahab must have Naboth's vineyard. He's got the palace, for crying out loud. He's, he's, got, he's the king. But he has to come and attempt to purchase the inheritance of Naboth that has been his generation and his father's generations for hundreds of years. He, he has to have that. He can't sleep. He can't eat. Jezebel says, what's wrong with you? You're the king. I'll get, I'll get you this vineyard. All right? That's what covetousness will do for you. It's the very gnawing of hell. Why can we not be happy with the lot when we look at a, a crook in it? Knowing that God will fix that crook in time and give us all things in Christ. You wait on the Lord. That's how faith overcomes desire. Discontentment with our own estate. Envying and grieving over the good of our neighbor. Everyone hates a bad sport. You know that? You ever been at a, at a ball game, a losing team? It's mostly with young kids. Because a good coach won't let people do that. There are very few bad. There are very few good coaches anymore. Because now when people lose, they rant and rave because they realize that they keep losing. They're not going to get the scholarship, and then they make a major fuck. 
you know, on and on and on. There goes the $12 million, you know, contract with Philly, whatever. And so they throw their gloves and throw their bats. And, ah! and the mothers are, and, and the fathers are railing from, you know, from, from beside the bullpen. Yeah, lousy, you know. Envy and grieving at the good of whenever. Ding, ding. You know, the, the post game, well, what happened? Why did you lose? Come on, guys. Just, just, well, actually, they were, they, they were better than we were. You know, no team wins all the time. This team played better. And they played great. Bye. Postseason, you know, post game, that's the interview. The interview's over. All inordinate emotions toward anything that is his. Scheming and trying to undercut him and all inordinate affection to anything that it says. Okay? Now, my friends, uh, of course, your purpose is to keep all the commandments, and the tenth is, is, a, is a gateway commandment. It's a, it's a precursor and a low guardrail. It's an index of, uh, of what's going to happen with the rest of the commandments. You, you might as well confess this one. <laughs> if, you break, if you break any of the other ones, don't forget to confess this one. Because this one, this one has the, the lightest needle on the meter. But you might miss it. I, I've said this at least five other times. A Catholic priest has been in the confessional for years, decades, and he says, hey, I've never heard any one of my parishioners confess the sin of covetousness. And it's like, our, we think if we work hard, we deserve this. We deserve, what, health, peace of mind, good, good families, we, we deserve this boat. I like fishing. I should have a boat. I like fishing. I, I, I should have a boat. Okay? So, the tenth is an early indicator of the motions and affections of your heart. A monitor to keep all the rest. And so we have in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 6, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. And then remind yourself of the gospel. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what, my, that's what Jesus says in his great commission. Teaching them all things whatsoever which I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. How does it, it does it get any better than that? Does it get any better than that? No. No. Preach to yourselves. Watch your hearts. What are you setting your hearts on? Where are you finding rest? Where do you park your heart? Is your conversation in heaven? Is it heavenly? Is it upwards? Or is it always down, looking for some measure of gratification? Now, I'm not saying that you have to be monks and nuns. That's not what I'm saying. Even when you are at the ball game and you're enjoying a great Astros game, you can enjoy that, you can cheer your heart out, and you can enjoy that to the full in the Lord. You can look at the bright orange of the Astros and say, God made that color, and wow, that wouldn't work on any other team but the Astros. Go Astros, you know? You can look at that field and say, that, that grass has been perfectly groomed. I need to shake hands with a landscape guy. You can rejoice in that. And you can rejoice in the Lord all you want. It has nothing at all with being so heavenly minded that you're just, you're absent. And, and you become uh, a despiser of all the creation. That's not it. That's not what we're saying. 
but, but, but your emotions need to be spiritual and upwards and good. Coveting, you need to understand, is inward and it is spiritual. And as I said, if ever a hardhead Pharisee can be convinced, it, by the grace of God, it will be this commandment. The church needs to preach the law of God, the moral law, and it needs to preach the Ten Commandments very tightly in sermons. And the way you do that is by application. And the way you do that is by searching the heart, the motions, the least, lightest movement of that light needle on the meter of sin. That's how the proud Pharisee will fall. And if it's not preached, then you're cheating Saul of his conversion. His commandment convinced Saul that he was a sinner. Now, if you're not convinced of your sin nature, <laughs> look, all you need to do is walk with the Lord. Try to walk with the Lord in these commandments, understanding them the way it's explained to you, at least in the shorter catechism, by the very many uh, other scriptures here that are, are also complementing uh, the 10th commandment. Try it. This is experiential. You can taste and see that the Lord is good, and you can taste to see that the law is extraordinarily accurate in pointing out that you are indeed a fallen creature. The evidence is overwhelming of your depravity. Study this commandment. Study its meaning. Apply it to your heart. If you, and you won't do it alone. You, you ask for the Lord, the Spirit. Send forth your light and your truth, Lord. May it lead me to your holy sanctuary. You know, search me, O Lord. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The problem with modern man is that he keeps... He thinks that he's in charge and that he, he, he wants to force-fit a, a utopia. What he ends up with is a dystopia. There's no utopia in this life. The, the, the liberal theology, one of the greatest, one of the greatest shams of all time in religion is modern theology liberal theology, and declaring that the kingdom of God is among us, and this is all it is. And so we, we have to bring it about through carnal means, not in the spirit, not by faith in Christ, not in his ordinances, not, in his, not, in, not according to righteousness, just whatever, whatever desire is left unfulfilled and gnaws at us, we must address it. And what that is is a cacophony of murmuring and clamoring and complaint. It, 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 is, it is hell. It is the yawning of hell ready to swallow up all humanity. Your deepest desires cannot be governed by declaring a utopia. But that was very popular in the early 20th century in liberal theology. You will not be satisfied with any created thing, not any political party, not any vocation, not any possession, not any wife or husband. Marriage, if you focus on the family, 
as your deepest desire, you will utterly fail Christ. You can focus on the family and enjoy your family as you do the Astros in Christ. Your family becomes an idol. You will breach the Tenth Commandment and you will have that gnaw, the gnawing of hell. God must be your chief comfort. God must be your, your chief supreme good in life. This is where we turn the commandments and it becomes idolatry. It becomes idolatry if we pursue and pursue and pursue that as, as our preeminent goal. Okay? Why are we here? The, 1 Timothy 1, Paul says, the aim of our charge, that is to say, you ministers, what are we trying to do in the church? We are trying to have people know that God is calling us to love, love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Okay? And, and that, is, that is what pleases God. God must be your chief comfort, supreme court, good in life. Otherwise, you're given to idols. And the wisdom of this is the following. We need to understand this. That is not the thing itself that you uh, are delighted in. It is what God makes that thing for you. Whatever God makes that creature to you, that is what the creature is to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? If God would have you to be perfectly content to have uh, a six-year-old car. That six-year-old car will be a joy to you, and you will be happy with it. It's not the thing. It's what God makes the thing to be for you. And so you don't have to wrestle your heart into conformity with this commandment. You just say, Lord, bless this car <laughs> as old as it is that I might be happy with it and not desire any other car and uh, you will receive the glory because nothing, nothing is anything to me except what you make it to be. And God has power, and he will do that. So ask him for that, because that's wisdom. And just always remember that all things are yours, and you're free to look at many things and to wonder and to marvel. But you mustn't set your heart on any of these things to, as, a, as a resting, as a resting perch. You can light on them. You can handle things lightly. You can, you can be among them and with them. But they are not your final destination and chief good. God alone is your chief good. God alone is your supreme good, preeminently. But when you are tempted and you think, well, the Lord is being stingy and he's not... I don't know. I, I just don't see the manifest blessings here. By faith, not by sight, by faith, you are to consider all things are yours. Everything you look around you is yours. And you are Christ's, and you can rejoice, and you can give thanks in all things, and you wait on the Lord. And here's the final index of this whole thing, when it's working. I, I, I read this in Richard Sibbs. There are, there, are some, there are some exceptions, but let me just say in general, in general, my friends, 
in general. When you are contented, your soul will know peace. When you're not contented, your soul will not know peace. It will be flighty. It will be anxious. It will be flitty. It will be trivial. It will be vain. You'll be jumping from one thing to the, you'll be unquiet, you'll be unsatisfied, you'll be jumping from one thing to the next. There's no, there's, it's like you, you lack a core. You don't have, you're not a pillar. You're not solid because you're not with God. We need solid Christians. For the sake of your own soul, man, you're cheating your peace. And there's no buying peace. There's no medication. There's no botanical here. No yoga stretches. Nothing. No, no, no. It's not going to happen. And that's why God, in coming into this sanctuary to worship, grace and peace to you. Why? Because, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. It can be so simple. You lack nothing in Christ. All things are yours. We don't need a lot of budgets. We don't need a lot of activities. We don't need a lot of programs. We just need the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit. And then we are more than satisfied and our souls know it well. Check for peace. If you have peace, you're good. But righteousness has to be sown in peace. And this church will not go forward without peace. A church full of malcontents will never rejoice at the, at the preaching Mary had a little lamb. <laughs> it's that simple. Okay. And that's the Tenth Commandments. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that all your ways are right and just and true. Thank you for teaching us, Lord. You are our maker. You know us well. You know what we need. We think we know what we need. But Lord, convince us. And forgive us. But by all means, help us improve. And if we don't see the improvement, Lord, help us at least to rejoice in the hope of righteousness. For then, Lord, we might have a measure of this good peace. And we pray that you would be glorified, that it's not our wisdom, that it's not our psychology, it's not good counsel here that's availing. It's your very, it's your very blessing. And we will praise you for it through Jesus. Amen. Let's sing our last song. It's number 119J, Your Hands Created and Established Me.